0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. I saw a few of you go to sleep earlier, so that's when I shot the message up there and said, do that little squeaky thing, man. Wake, wake some folks up. Uh, man, thank you guys, Crow's Nets, for all you do. I know sometimes there are technical difficulties that have nothing to do with you. It's that technology sometimes takes on a life of its own. So an image came to me earlier in the week, of, uh, and, and the Lord was really pressing this on me this morning when I woke up. Some of you here may not be real familiar with the Bible, and that's okay. We're, we're glad you're here. You don't have to know the Bible from the front to the back to be a, a part of this church. But if you don't know the Bible well, in the Old Testament, there's, there's something called the Ark of the Covenant, and in that Ark was considered to be the the holy things of God, like the presence of God. Back in the Old Testament, it was like the presence of God dwelled in that place, and it was treated that way. So whenever it had to move from one place to another, there were all of these instructions on how you move the ark. Because it wasn't like you just threw it on a U-Haul and just hope it got there. You had to carry it, you had to care for it. You had to carefully transport it. There were all these instructions, people who would go in front, people who would go behind. And and what the Lord really started pressing on me this past week is that what I do when I stand up on this stage is that I get to carry the holy things of God. And I, I felt some this week, like the Lord was saying, you better not drop the holy things of God. Like, carry it as if your life and other people's lives depend on it. So one thing I hope that you trust me with is that when I step up here on a Sunday, I'm not a guy who on Saturday night at nine o'clock started flipping through the Bible of what I'm going to speak in front of you. But throughout the week, I'm, I'm listening to the Lord. I'm listening to things going on in our church's life and in culture and around us. And when I stand up here, I want to carry the things of God uh, faithfully. Um, I don't want to drop. I don't want to drop the word this morning. I don't want to drop what this season as a but something about the ark of the covenant is that it wasn't just one person's responsibility to carry the important things of god it took a number of people it took a a lot of folks and and i think today it takes the whole church to carry the things of god the truth of god the heart of god the mission of god it takes all of us to make sure that we are not dropping the things that are precious to the lord Uh, we don't want any fumbles in the kingdom right And it takes all of us. Sometimes you had these people carrying the ark and you have someone in front of you. Maybe you've carried a a piece of heavy furniture before. And it's really nice having that person in the front who can say, there's a step that's about to go up or a step that's about to go down. Because in life, we're going up and down. And as a church, we're carrying the holy things of God. And it's what I want to help us do today. Open your Bibles to the book of John. Uh, That's where we're going to be. Happy December. I can't believe it's already December. December. Uh, Jeff Cousins, if you're still in here, um, man, thank you for what you shared earlier. It's been a joy. There you are. It's been a joy to walk this journey with you, not just over the last six months, but you've been a dear friend since I came to Memphis. Uh, And being with you on your journey of uh, deliverance and liberation has taught me so much, even in my own life, of how God is liberating me from some of my own junk. And I thank you for the words you spoke today that you're not, you've not fully recovered. You're on the pathway to recovery. And I think a lot of folks in this room can say it's where we are too. So thank you for ministering uh, to our hearts today. You got that phone call on a Monday from a preacher. And I think a lot of you feel this way when you get a phone call from me. It's like, oh man, is Josh calling a check on me to pray? Or is he going to ask me to become vulnerable? And it's what I did for you. So thank you for being obedient to the Lord. Um, Look, here's, here's a question. And, and for those of you uh, who are meeting in life groups, small groups, um, I did not put this in your uh, devotion for later on today, but I encourage you maybe to ask this question, uh, even with family. All right, if I were to ask you about your spiritual autobiography, um, the first assignment I had in grad school when I was in seminary, first assignment was a 10-page paper to write my spiritual autobiography. And if I were to ask you, where does your spiritual autobiography begin? What is the first thing that comes to mind of how you would begin your story? So if it's your spiritual autobiography of what God has done in your life, where does your story begin? Uh, Some of you would say it began at birth. Some of you would go way back before birth. Some of you may begin at a place of brokenness or despair, uh, of deep pain when the lord broke into your life maybe for the first time but where does your spiritual autobiography begin okay and let me use that to kind of move to if you got to tell the story of jesus if you were a gospel writer so matthew mark luke and john are the four gospels in the bible and 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 the way I view Scripture is that the Spirit of God was working in the lives of women and men to help write the 66 books of the Bible, but that people actually had choices of how they formed the story. So with the Gospels, I don't think God put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into some trance and just dropped words on a page, or like totally took control of their hand, where it was this out-of-body experience. I think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, working through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually made choices of how they were going to tell the story of Jesus. Uh, so, they're writing to specific people, specific churches, dealing with specific things in specific areas in first century culture, and they're writing their story of Jesus to bless a church that has now blessed us 2,000 years later. All right, so for instance, if you're writing a gospel, if you're writing a story of Jesus, if you were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where would you begin the story of Jesus? Because the four gospel writers began in different places. Matthew began with the genealogy, and then he told the birth story of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. So he begins with the genealogy of connecting Jesus to the promise of God that went all the way back to Abraham and beyond so he's, it's, if King James, it's that word begat that comes up a lot, right? He gave birth to this person who gave birth to this, and it's this long genealogy, and then boom, you get the birth story of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. If you look in Mark chapter 1, Mark totally ignores the birth story of Jesus. He goes straight to the public ministry of Jesus, which is why Mark, nobody ever reads Mark for some Christmas story, like when kids are on the stage and they're acting out the, the birth story of Jesus. Mark doesn't have a role in it. Someday in heaven, people are going to go up and be like, Mark, did you just not like Christmas? Did you have a bad experience? Is that why you didn't say anything about the birth of Jesus? Because Mark begins right there in the public ministry of Jesus. Now Luke, Luke took a different approach. Luke, he's a, he a physician. He's a doctor. He's a dude of details. So in Luke chapter one, it is this long chapter where Luke doesn't just tell you about one birth. He tells you about two births and goes into detail about it. So Luke begins his gospel with multiple births that are pointing to the birth of Jesus. So we read a lot of Matthew and we read a lot of Luke around Christmas time. No mark. All right. John took a different approach. When John started his gospel, it started with song and poetry and rhythm. There are those for years who have looked at John's gospel, especially in the Greek and there are those who believe and those who have argued that the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 were actually a hymn that the early church would sing. There's rhythm to it and there's cadence and it's, it's like this journey. So if your Bibles aren't open to John chapter 1, uh, I hope you get there. Uh, there. There are church fathers throughout history like Augustine and Chrysostom, who said this about John chapter 1. They said it is beyond the power of man to speak as John does in his prologue. John Calvin, a few hundred years ago, said, rather, should we be satisfied with this heavenly oracle, knowing that it says much more than our minds can take in? Some people have explained John chapter 1 as as an overture. I don't know how familiar you are with overture. Maybe if you're in here and you like going to the opera, the symphony, uh, every opera has this overture. What it is, is it's this beginning piece that is full of power, and it may hold in it pieces that will play out throughout the rest of that performance. And it's, it, what it does is it wants to whet your appetite. Movies do this sometimes, TV shows that up front, it wants to give you something that keeps you on the edge of your seat, but it lets you know. It's not the whole performance, it's, it's usually not the best piece of the performance, but it's letting you know, hey, here's what to expect, here's what's coming. In fact, something better is coming, and that's what John chapter 1 does. It kind of whets your appetite. It lets you know, hey, here's some really good news of the word coming in flesh. Uh, And it's like John chapter 1 almost serves as a table of contents for the rest of John. It's this overture. It whets your appetite. It lets you know something's coming. So look in John chapter 1 and those first three three verses, the first three words of John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So John's writing mostly to a lot of Jews. And for any Jew, they had been raised... As Jews, they knew the Hebrew Bible. And they, if they heard that, they're thinking Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning. The Bible begins with in the beginning. And John begins his gospel with in the beginning, John is... He's doing a lot here. He's letting you know that in the very beginning, God created out of nothingness. He created out of chaos. He created out of darkness. And now Jesus is coming to do the same thing. Jesus is creating something new, just like God did in the very beginning. That in the beginning, God did this. And now in the beginning, Jesus is doing something totally new in our lives. But not only that, it's, it's kind of poetic. You can see it. I mean, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So you have in the beginning, and it's connecting Jesus to God in the very beginning. Some of you probably have, a trouble, uh, have trouble sometimes. Casey and I taught a class on Wednesday nights uh, a couple of months ago in which we talked about the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And part of that class, we just had a conversation with some of you how it's hard to wrap your mind around everything God is. And, and some of us it, it may be hard for some of you to wrap your mind around how could God come in human flesh as Jesus, yet that same Jesus was with God in the very beginning when the world was created. And I think what this points us to is the diversity of God, the beauty of God, the community of God, and that Jesus, what, what John does at the beginning of his gospel is connect Jesus to the activity of God, the creation of God. He connects Jesus to the plan of God. He connects Jesus to God in every kind of way. Jesus has been with God in the very beginning and Jesus came in human flesh to reveal God to the world. And it's not just in the beginning, it's focused on, all right, in the beginning, the word. Uh, why, why, why didn't it say in the beginning, Jesus? But it's in the beginning, there was the word. It's a Greek word, logos. This word logos meant a lot to Greeks and it also meant a lot to Jews. That it, there, was, there was the word, uh, the were connected with greeks and jews. So let me let me do something just quickly in the old testament and new testament in the old testament They believed in the existence of this transcendent god This god who was sovereign over all things who made himself known through time and through various actions So focus on time just for a moment. How do you tell time? Uh, let me have a, a maybe a show of hands just between a watch and a cell phone What do you use to see what time it is more? How many of you look at a watch more than a cell phone? Just a show of hands. Got some watch people in the house. How many of you look at a cell phone more than a watch to see what time it is? Uh, How many of you may be like me, that you listen to the grumbling of your stomach to know what time it is, right? Dude, it's lunchtime, man. Like my stomach's letting me know it's time to eat, it's time to snag, it's time to do this. In the Old Testament, of course they didn't have watches, they didn't have cell phones. The main way the people of God talked about time wasn't even the time of the day. It was by events. It was events of the past. It was events in the future. They believed God created time, that God was active in time, that God was moving time toward fulfillment. Here's how this works, I think, for us sometimes. If I were to ask you right now, what are the three most impactful events that have happened in your life? I bet you could tell me the year it happened. I bet most of you could tell me the month it happened. And I bet most of you could tell me the day it happened. You may not be able to tell me like 3.13 on this day, but you could probably remember the day, the month of the year, the most impactful events of your life. So when the people of God in the Old Testament, when they would think about time, they're thinking about past events and they're anticipating the fulfillment of time through what God's plan is, is revealing. So with the people of God, the events they celebrated were annual events like Passover <coughs> excuse me, and feasts and Sabbath days. And this continued into the early church where they're even celebrating some of those seasons because we reminded them of certain events that they were to celebrate because of what God had done and it is anticipating what God is going to do. We're in December. It's a month that a lot of people call It's a month of Advent. It's a season of Advent, which simply means waiting. And it's not just waiting without hope. It's waiting, anticipating how God is bringing his salvation into the world. Now, for for Christians, for a number of years, this goes back a long ways. How, how people have celebrated Advent, it's that season of the year that reminds you that part of the journey of following God and part of the journey of what it means to live is that you find yourself in seasons of waiting. And can God lead us to the point that we can see and acknowledge and celebrate how God is present in the waiting? Now, some of you are so tired of waiting. I know that. I, I, Pray with some people who have, you've been waiting for weeks, months, years, maybe decades for a marriage to fall into place, for kids to happen, for a job to, to be right, for someone in your family to be liberated from disease or from destruction and addiction, and you find yourself waiting. The last thing you may want is a season that tells you to wait again. But the Bible has so much to say about waiting. And it's a season that reminds us that a lot of times we do wait And what what does it do to our faith? All right. So in the New Testament, though, there was this anticipation that had been building in people's lives. So Christians began to believe and celebrate that all time found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So Christians began to think of time as time that had come to its fulfillment in Jesus. So there's incarnation. God became flesh. There's death there's resurrection there's ascension there's the holy spirit coming and with jesus what happened is now all time had this center so in colossians 1 and colossians 2 christ is the cosmic center jesus is the one that holds everything together everything before him pointed to him everything after him points back to him so with jesus there's fulfillment of time a time of salvation and we still have the anticipation of a time when god's fulfillment will come Is this making sense a little bit? Can I see head nods, yes or no? Because if there are too many no's, I can extend this thing another 20 minutes, you know what I'm saying? In worship, what we're doing today, we remember and we celebrate the past, we acknowledge the present, we anticipate the future. Communion that Jeff led us in a few minutes ago does just that. It acknowledges and celebrates the past. It acknowledges the present. Jesus is the one who reclines with us at the table and it creates anticipation for the future. What Jesus does for us is he lets us know there was a set time when Jesus came and there's also a fulfillment of time. And what this does for us, especially when we come together on a Sunday and why this is so important is that we come together to acknowledge all that Jesus has accomplished. We acknowledge the hard work of Jesus, uh, one thing the Christmas story does to me is it reveals to me how um, how there are times where God changes. Uh, I, I know some of you, the idea of God changing isn't something you it may not even be in your theology. You know, the, and I'm not saying this to limit God's sovereignty. How the control of God, how God is over things, but there are times throughout life where the nature, the plan of God don't change, but the form of how God enters into your life or into the world does change. And for God to take this risk, to leave the throne of heaven, this place of being overall to step into the form of a human flesh where he entered into the womb of God, of a woman to be born as an infant, God changed. He entered into this human flesh, and just the thought of God. And there are days where I'm so overwhelmed by this that that God would think so much of me that He would enter into human flesh, and that He would love me with the kind of uh, power that He would be willing to die for the things I have done, so that I could be one with Him. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us then when we were at our worst, God thought we were worth pursuing, right? Uh, and so Jesus, God changed in becoming uh, human, and Jesus was willing to take on in his own life the hard work of being, bringing redemption to the world. Now, what this does for me on a day like this, while we took communion earlier, is Jesus is willing to go through the hard work, so that people could be saved and people could be made one with God, are we willing to go through the hard work of allowing Jesus to form us into the likeness of himself? What I mean is when we come to a table and we reflect on the bread and the cup and how Jesus was broken and his blood flowed from his body so that we could experience and live into salvation, do we come to the table willing to do the hard work of allowing God to point out things in our lives that need a change for the sake of holiness and sanctification and transformation? Jesus is willing to do the hard work. How much hard work are we willing to do to be one with him? All right, look in verse five. And let me end with this this morning. What it says is the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not. Look in your Bible. I don't know how your verse ends in verse five. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not. Just shout out. What does it say in your Bible? The darkness does not what? All right, I heard comprehend I think I heard grasp somewhere. I heard overcome, understood. All right, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it or overcome it or understand it. This is a Greek word. It's uh, kataleben. A- and this word's used a few times uh, in the New Testament. And one of the meanings is to grasp, it is to understand. Now, when it comes to the salvation of God and the Word becoming flesh and all John 1 is going to teach us over the next few weeks, the salvation God's inviting you to live into isn't just something you understand. It's not just this concept. God gives the world for you to believe. It's this person God became for you to believe in. It's very personal. It's not just information. It's not some test you have to pass based on how well you know it. It's this person who's inviting you into this deep relationship. Uh, But this Word can also mean something else. And if you go to that next slide, here's what this verse can also mean. To gain control of someone through pursuit. Or to catch up with. Or to seize. That's a pretty cool thought, right? That the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. What it lets you know is that when God chose to become human flesh, when God chose to step into the world as Jesus, Jesus did this because he thought you were worth loving, you were worth saving, you were worth dying for, and Jesus believed you were worth living for. Uh, But Jesus' purpose from walking in flesh and even his purpose for dying wasn't just out of love for you, it was also this plan of God to dismantle the powers of darkness. It was both. Jesus had a plan and a desire to love with the ability, to love within himself in a way that would bring salvation to the world. And Jesus thought you were doing this for. But but it wasn't just personal for Jesus. It was also this plan of God to, to fight darkness in a way where he dismantled and crumbled and defeated all of darkness, the principalities and the powers, it was very personal in that he loves you. And it was very cosmic in that Jesus stepped into human flesh to do something so much greater than something just for you. He was dismantling darkness. And, and this definition of the word does something, that I, I think it should do something to how we pray and how we pray over people this week, how we pursue that, that this light came into the world. And in a way, what this light does is it pursues darkness. It's chasing after darkness to seize it, to destroy it. So in John 1, Jesus is revealing this very personal nature. Or John is revealing this very per- personal nature of Jesus. He's also revealing the victor, the one who's conquering, bringing all things to fulfillment. Uh, so, we're about to sing a couple of songs. And what we've done, we've set up a couple of tables. We do this maybe every six weeks here. So, in those little middle sections, you'll have two tables, pens, and pieces of paper. And there's a question you'll find on those tables. And the question is, where do you need light to break into your darkness today? These are things that our staff and our leadership will meet tomorrow night, that our shepherds, our elders, our, our ministers take these, and we want to pray over them. And, We ask you over the next couple of songs to take advantage of those places. Give us something to pray for. Give us a way to speak light into your darkness. I want to ask for the elders in the church, if you will, to go to your places now so people can see where you will be to receive them for prayer. And as we sing a couple of songs, as we move the tables, we have elders around to receive you. This may be a day, one of those times in your life that December 4th, 2016 is a day you decide that you're speaking and declaring light over specific forms of darkness in your life. This could be a day of liberation for you, a day of freedom, a day where you choose to let go of something. And that doesn't have to happen at a table, but let this be a day that we, as a church, turn turn towards Jesus. If there's something you want to bring in front of this entire church today for a prayer, Doyle is over here on my right to receive you, the other elders in this room and the couple we have in the back uh, Bonnie and Sam are here to receive you for prayer if there's anything they can pray for. Can we stand together and pray before we sing these songs? And if you will, will you close your eyes, bow your heads? If you're willing or comfortable, maybe just open your hands where you are to the Lord. God, where you need to declare release now in this moment, please declare it. Where you need to loosen our grip on the things we're holding uh, tightly in our lives with a death grip. Uh, come and open up our hands to release us from false allegiances, from addictions, from things that don't matter, so that we have open hands to receive more from you. Today, God, will you declare light over all forms of darkness wherever in this room. Light needs to be spoken over depression, unhealthy emotions, unhealthy anger, sexual addictions, hurting broken marriages, uh, suffering prayer lives. Will you come and speak your light and invite us into it? Thank you, God, for turning towards us. And for pursuing us, not just for waiting for us to turn towards you. And we give all this to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.